Germany's social market economy combined free markets with a strong welfare state. It becomes the social democratic party. Yes, we can. Education, education, and education. Hello and welcome to the Centre Think Tank, uh, the Centre Think Tanks podcast, the Centrist podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will Barber Taylor, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by David Owen, Lord Owen, who has served as leader of the SDP and as foreign secretary. Welcome to the podcast, Lord Owen. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you here. Now, the first question um, that I would like to ask is, since we, we last spoke, um, there has been a change of prime minister. We have a new prime minister, a new cabinet. You, of course, have served in cabinets that have gone through difficult times, that have led Britain in times when the economy has had issues and there have been um, great changes in geopolitics and world politics. What is your assessment of how Liz Truss and her cabinet have done so far? Well, they've made a very crucial mistake. They made announcements about international finance without ensuring that they had the confidence of world markets. And uh, that has been really to make a, a, a very um, serious error and extraordinary, really, that they should have done that. The new Chancellor of the Exchequer must obviously take the main burden of blame for it. And that is his job, is to basically ensure that... Uh, announcements about the British economy carry confidence with the people who are going to be most affected. And in this case, the markets uh, showed that they didn't think they'd done their homework. And mm -hmm. I think it was pretty obvious they hadn't. Mm -hmm. uh, how quickly do you think that they can rectify? The, the, the oh, I think uh, pretty quickly. I think these things happen and uh, he will have to demonstrate that, I mean, basic things like the arithmetic adding up. Um, do you think that the uh, internal pressures that the, the Chancellor and the Prime Minister are facing will mean that the Chancellor will be able to um, rectify his mistakes, as it were, before uh, he is perhaps forced out? Because there has been a lot of discussion internally and externally about whether the Prime Minister should uh, change uh, who is Chancellor of the Exchequer. It's very difficult to change a new Chancellor of the Exchequer, who is also known to be a friend and ally of the Prime Minister. So I think, basically, uh, we just have to live with this error and expect it to be put right in the next few days and weeks. Mm -hmm. It's better not to have happened. It cost a certain amount of confidence, and it will probably mean they have to change the structure which they were after. And um, they've already made one big change in dropping the 45% uh, tax uh, relief that they were offering. They may have to make ch more changes. But look, this is a small change of British politics, and I, I thought we were going to talk about rather deeper things than that. Yes, no, no we are, but I just thought it would be... Um... Uh, worth uh, hearing uh, from you what your particular thoughts were on, on, on current events. Um, I'd like to turn back now to your time as leader 
of the Social Democratic Party. Um, because when you were leader of the SDP, you opposed the merger with the Liberal Party and, and, and you never joined uh, the Liberal Democrats. Of why, course. Wh- why did you think at the time the SDP and social democracy needed its own party separate from a le- merger with the Liberals? Well, it was obvious that the opinion polls wanted a new party. They told us very clearly that if we wanted to do well, we should uh, stay on our own, have our establish our own identity and sell ourselves to the British public as a new political force. It was obvious that that was what we should do. But unfortunately, our, some of our colleagues thought differently and thought the only way to move ahead was to join with the Liberals. What do you think was the, the reasoning from their point of view behind that? Was, was it solely... A- well, I think it was quite obvious in the case of Roy Jenkins, who was <laughs> an older man, and thought that we could become the government of the country in one full sweep. It was obviously ridiculous. Uh, you don't form a new party and become the government straight away. You have to uh, earn your um, position and earn respect and establish that your policies are both new and credible. And uh, that takes time. And so you, we tried to um, jump all our fences at one time. And... Um, it was uh, very regrettable, but there we are. It happened, and it's no good complaining. Everybody knows the story, and I don't think it makes much difference, uh, except to warn people if you're going to establish a new party, uh, you'll be in it for the long haul mm-hmm. and keep your identity and develop new credible policies after all that's what people want Mm. at the moment they look around and they see every single political party deeply compromised and in not a very happy position Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's the government conservatives or the labor opposition or the uh, liberal party or the uh, various other regional parties. I don't think the SNP, funnily enough, is in a very good position at the mm. moment. And I think they're beginning to lose some of their dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, had you stayed the course, I mean, you, you, you said there that it would have taken a certain amount of time uh, to establish the SDP as, as a party of government. In your mind at the time, did you have a, a time scale as to how long you thought it would take? Did you think it would take 10 years, 15 years, or, or a shorter amount of time? Well, the first task was to establish yourself in the first coming election. Mm. And uh, that was, you know, within two years, likely two years. Um, we were not to know that the Falklands War would take place mm. and that that would make it much easier for Margaret Thatcher to do well. But I don't think we should make that as an excuse it was a a factor which made it a little more difficult but we in the case of the sdp supported the government's position very strongly in the house of commons and i don't think it cost us a lot uh that but it definitely improved margaret thatcher's chances of winning the 83 election so once it happened which in many ways was a, a failure of the government to handle the situation and revealed by Margaret Thatcher mm. 
when asked by the um, then First Sea Lord to send a task force, said, how long will it take to get there? Three or four days? And he said, no, Prime Minister, three weeks, <laughs> which showed that she had not understood all the arguments leading up to the Argentinian invasion, that you have to have a capacity in place. Mm. You can't suddenly generate it. And she simply had no idea of the geography of the world position of the Falklands. Well, it was very revealing. Uh, mm. But there we are. The world is uh, likes a winner. We won the war. The armed services won it for us, is the truth. Mm. And the benefit came to the Prime Minister of the day. That's the way. She mm. conducted herself well during the war but she conducted herself very badly in the run-up to the war, and it should, it's a war that should never have occurred. Mm. Um, thinking back um, over a decade ago, there was the um, alternative vote referendum, and you were opposed to AV, but instead preferred proportional representation. How do you think we can reach the eventual goal of PR, and do you think we will ever change the voting system? Well, not unless you liberals develop a clear policy. And when you go, if you ever again go into coalition, you've got to know what you want and fight for it. So to come up with AV was ridiculous. What on earth have we been about as a smaller parties? The SDP and liberals did actually establish a working party of which I was a member of it. And we rejected AV. And so when the only time you get into government and the Tories offer you the chance of legislating, which you were offered, you come up with AV. Well, it's ridiculous. It's not a proportional system. Of course, it is a better, some people say, but it can produce freak results. And if you have a freak result that is unfair, then it really calls in question the whole um, reason for changing the voting system. The great advantage of proportional representation to the average person, it's a fairer system. You don't come up with an unfair, a potentially unfair system, which AV is. It's broadly speaking, gives you a fairer result, but it's, but why on earth drop the very policy that liberals have been fighting for for years? So on the main central task of changing sorry, on the central task of changing the voting system, when you were in coalition government with uh, Prime Minister Cameron, your then leader, Clegg, uh, completely sold out. Uh, I, I would just like to um, to offer uh, one correction. I'm, I'm not a member of the Liberal Democrats, no, uh, no, nor uh, uh, was I a, 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 a stand here as a representative of the, of the Liberal I thought Democrats. you were a Liberal think tank. Uh, yes, a liberal think tank, but I personally am not a a member of the uh, of the Liberal Democrats. So uh, I, 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 I don't think. Well, I think um... you're very wise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, in in terms of um, the difference, why do you think that the Liberal Democrats advocated for that system? If, as 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 you make the argument, it was one that was clearly unpopular and, and open to um, a, a great deal of easy attacks. Yeah, I haven't a clue. 
I'm not a liberal Democrat, never have been, never will be. So I can't help you on that. All I know was that when the STP and the Liberals worked together, which was not an unreasonable thing to do, we established a policy for changing the voting system unanimously. And then when you actually came or when they came into government, they dropped it. I I haven't a clue why they did. I'm not the right person to ask any yeah. issue about the liberals mm-hmm. because I'm not a liberal and I actually haven't got much sympathy for them. And it mm-hmm. seems to me they've had their chance in historical terms and they've blown it, except for having rather probably the best prime minister in our history, Lloyd George. Mm-hmm. But I don't see any progress, really, the Liberals making until they can get their act together Mm. and demonstrate. They also provided uh, an appalling example of uh, when in coalition government of agreeing with the Lansley reforms of the NHS. Mm. And most of the things that are wrong with the NHS at the moment are at core the Lansley reforms. It's absolutely staggering that they allowed that to go through. And even Cameron said it was the biggest mistake of his government. Mm. I think he expected um, Clegg to uh, demand the Lansley proposals proposals were dropped. But they, they, they actually supported them, both in the Commons and Shirley Williams in the House of Lords. In, in, in terms of the, the space that the, the Liberal Democrats occupy... How much do you think that their um, lack of support at the moment is due to changes in the in the Liberal Democrats' policy regarding Brexit? Because at one point, of course, they were seen as the the premier Remain party, whereas now the position that Ed Davey has is somewhat uh, more of a constructed um, disagreement that oh, we have to accept the the, the result, but we. Um, aren't necessarily looking to to rejoin anytime soon. Do you think that that inability to have a, a, a concrete position on the policy that so many people over the past few years have identified with the Liberal Democrats is what's really harming them at the moment? Well, at various times, Liberals uh, did float the idea of a referendum and they mm. showed some sensitivity to the fact that the general public were getting more and more restless about EU membership, more and more unsatisfied about it, and particularly the uh, handling of the euro currency and the European Central Bank, uh, which many people didn't want us to join, and would obviously eventually, we would have to join if we stayed. So this um, really, uh, the referendum, uh, I think, was well, certainly supported by Liberal MPs. After all, you don't get a referendum unless it passes Parliament. Mm. And the referendum passed Parliament, with, as I remember it, uh, Liberal support and Conservative support and uh, others. (laughs) Once you have a referendum and lose it, a referendum isn't just for a weekend. (laughs) It's for a generation at the very least. And... uh, Probably it's as big a change in a way as the Reformation when we rejected Rome on religious grounds to some extent. Mm. Now we were rejecting the idea of Europe 
on the wish to remain a self-governing nation. Mm-hmm. So I personally think uh, the the present leader, the Liberal uh, Democrats, has no alternative but to recognize that you can't fight an election on the basis of rejecting the referendum. They tried to do that, of course, mm-hmm. under the miserable period of two or three years when the House of Commons couldn't make up its mind what it wanted to do. And it tried the Liberal Democrats with the uh, Labour Party and a few uh, dissident Conservatives to get a second vote. And it was uh, the reason that Boris Johnson had a landslide victory. Mm. The electorate thought, you know, are these people crazy? They agree to a referendum, lose it, and then try and change it. And that House of Commons was a perfect disgrace with a speaker that had lost uh, his grip on reality of what a position of a speaker is. He was an active partisan in trying to get the referendum rejected. Well, it did the Liberals a certain amount of harm, but you know, people who support the Liberal Party tend to be people who are committed to it for other reasons, good reasons like you know, wanting a more uh, libertarian society and not wanting a government that spends its whole time telling everybody what to do. And uh, so general basic liberal principles, which mm. are very good principles. And so it, it rumbles along with a small level of support, uh, a fringe influence on British politics, like it always has done. In my lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Um, re- returning to the referendum and our current relationship with the EU, how do you feel about the current deal that we have? And do you think it's something that can be improved upon in terms of, of our relationship? Yes. Uh, non-stop throughout the whole negotiations. I had a correspondence with the then Prime Minister, Theresa May, and made many, many suggestions of how the deal could be improved. Mm. Uh, She gave me the courtesy of replying in full to most of the points that I raised, and, uh, but she never really came up with any better alternatives that she could carry through parliament. Mm. You know, I think in fairness to her, she was a, she tried, but she, she misunderstood. She used this word, Brexit means Brexit. Well, I was uh, on the campaign for uh, Brexit, mm-hmm. but I never campaigned on a specific way of coming out. Mm. That was preempted by Cameron, the Prime Minister, who refused to allow the civil service to come up with any propositions, even during the referendum, to do the work so that when Theresa May replaced him, she would have an alternative to what to do. And so a small group of uh, uh, MPs who had definite views about what referendum meant and what to do carried the day by, uh, they were a group of about 50 to 60 Tory MPs. But they bullied and harassed and argued, sometimes very effectively, 
and won the most extreme exit uh, that you could possibly have. They wanted to get out as quickly as possible and totally. Mm. Well, there were consequences of doing that, and there were short-term disadvantages with long-term arguable advantages. Mm. And so the short-term won, and there was no compromises. So once the European Union saw that was how they wanted it, they gave it to them. And I think we're pretty surprised that that was what they would demand. There were small edges and minor changes, but nothing very central. Mm -hmm. In regard to um, Northern Ireland, of course, one of one of the issues with the, the deal is the position that it has placed Northern Ireland in. If there isn't some resolution to the position Northern Ireland is in regarding the deal, how much do you think that's going to be used by Irish reunification parties to argue that there should be a, a referendum, a border poll, and Northern Ireland should rejoin, uh, should join uh, Ireland? Even Sinn Féin has said they don't think there will be a border poll for up to 20 years. Mm. So what's the point of putting that forward now? There's no wish for it, even in Sinn Féin. Mm. Very sensibly, they know that, um, that it's better issue to postpone and get people acclimatised to having closer relationship with the Republic before they put, which is the right of, which was conceded by Ted Heath a mm. long time ago, that there, uh, there could be a border poll, as you call it, uh, and it has to be agreed by the government, mm -hmm. and there has to be a obvious, transparent wish for it. But it will probably come. I don't know whether it will or not. I would say the chances of there being a border poll are much greater now than before, but there is a lot of resistance to it. And mm. to be frank, there's quite a lot of people in Dublin who are none too keen for it. It costs them quite a lot of money to absorb mm. Northern Ireland. But that's for the future. It's not on our immediate agenda, mm. but it's certainly there. And as Democrats, we have to uh, stand by the commitment that Ted Heath made uh, in 1972, if I remember, 73. And um, I thought it was not a very wise commitment, but it was made and it stands and we have to be ready for it. Just as if the pressure in Scotland comes on for what I would call a generation, then there will be another border poll about Scotland and whether or not the SNP's wish will be supported. What you can't do is have these sort of polls every three or four years when the opinion polls look as if you might take advantage of it. In that respect, Sinn Féin has shown themselves to be rather more sensible than the SNP in Scotland. In regard to issues that we are currently facing, obviously one of the um, main crises that is dominating the headlines and influencing uh, British and international politics is the crisis in Ukraine. Now, of course, you served as Secretary of State for Foreign and Commonwealth Affairs. Were you in charge of the Foreign Office now? How would you deal with the Ukrainian crisis in terms of military support to Ukraine and energy security 
for Britain. I have no criticism of the government policy. It started under Boris Johnson and looks like continuing in every respect the same policy under Liz Truss. So I'm fully supportive. Mm. It's rather nice uh, on a major issue of foreign policy to be on all fours with the policy. I, I have no criticism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, President Biden recently compared the crisis to the Cuban Missile Crisis, which, of course, happened nearly 60 years ago uh, this month. They're saying it's one of the most dangerous instances in, in, in regard to possible uh, nuclear exchange. How do you think Ukraine compares to the Cuban Missile Crisis? And how do you think the main actors in this crisis compare to their predecessors during the Cuban Missile Crisis? I think that's a question you should ask President Biden. <laughs> I mean, personally, I have been a student of the Cuban Missile Crisis and written about it quite extensively in various books. And I don't see very many similarities. Would, would you say then that President Biden was merely airing it because for an American domestic audience and for an international audience, it's a, a very handy um, example of how things can become perilous in terms of possible nuclear exchange, that he was merely using it as a, as a, a, a possible comparison point without thinking too much about any... Uh, real comparative factors. I, I'm just not in the business of criticising allies and friends. Uh, they make their own speeches, they must defend them. Hmm. Um, if you ask me a question, I'll give you the answer. I don't personally see very many similarities to hmm. it. Um, but I think that the obvious similarity is that um, Khrushchev put nuclear warheads into Cuba. Mm. And uh, it appears that uh, President Putin is contemplating using nuclear uh, tactical weapons in the um, engagement after his second invasion of um, Ukraine. It's totally unacceptable to the world. And I say the world, I think, to certainly include the biggest democracy in the world, India, and I would say probably the largest country in the world, China, unacceptable to use tactical nuclear weapons in um, Ukraine. And I think Russia will be hit by a level of worldwide condemnation that Putin obviously has not calculated on. So I think there would be an act of folly uh, as to how you would deal with it I think the best thing is to say very little about that. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a number of options, but it will meet fierce resistance, militarily and politically. We are not about to repeat the history of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That was a warning to the world never to use nuclear weapons, and I remain implacably opposed to them, and I believe that they must never be used. And so this idea of a tactical nuclear exchange is very dangerous for Russia. It is part of their policy that you can have an exchange of tactical nuclear weapons without escalation in, up in the 
megatonnage of nuclear power that would be, be used. I don't believe that. I think it has an inbuilt escalator. You break a taboo uh, by using nuclear weapons. And as you break that taboo, you'll find that there are no rules that can contain the engagement. And therefore, I think it's devastatingly dangerous and not tolerable. So I think the world knows how to deal with it. And I think it will be a world response. This will not be uh, anywhere near the same level of um, criticism of Russia that they're experiencing at the moment. Mm -hmm. They're on a pretty big minority in the world in their conduct and their two invasions of Ukraine. But that's nothing compared to what would happen if they use nuclear devices. As, as it is the, the 60th, uh, coming up to the 60th anniversary, and leaving aside um, the comparison to Ukraine, the Cuban Missile Crisis was a, a fundamentally pivotal moment in the 20th century. How much do you think we can learn about it, reflecting on, on the actions of both Khrushchev and Kennedy in how to deal with the threat of war without, in fact, going to war? Well, you need to be calm. You need to take no escalatory action. You need, as far as possible, a back channel. And there needs to be no doubt what happens if you do certain things. I don't think that Putin is unaware of what would be President Biden's response. I think we can safely assume that the Americans have let Putin know in no uncertain terms what will be the consequences of using nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, Lord Owen, and I do have one final question for you. Now, the name of the think tank um, that we are recording this podcast for is Centre. And the concept of the centre has changed or the perception of it has changed radically for some people over the past few decades, over the past few years. When Arthur Schlesinger Jr. wrote The Vital Centre, his description of the centre might be seen as quite different to that that is uh, expressed by a lot of people as the centre now. In terms of defining the centre of politics, the middle ground of politics. Do you think that this is something that we can have an eternal, permanent definition for? Or do you think that as people change and as society changes, so the centre itself shifts and definitions change as well? I think definitions do change. And I think it's the world is constantly moving. And I think, therefore, it's perfectly legitimate for political parties to change their approach and to um, use the term modernize in a sensible way. So I think that there is um, a role for different attitudes to any of the political parties that are currently in, uh, holding office. I think they've all in their ways disgrace themselves in recent memory and it's very difficult to wipe that out you don't uh, 
put your confidence in people whose behavior you thoroughly disapproved of four or five years ago and suddenly think they will become a good government. At least I think that's the attitude of a lot of people. So whether they're on the center or not, I think there, is a, there are millions of people at the moment in this country who are very unsatisfied with the Conservative Party, the Labour Party, and the Liberal Democrats. Now, will anything happen? I don't know. I still think that the case the, that I made as leader of the SDP in 83 for what I called an agenda for competitiveness and compassion. And I wrote that article, in a long article, deliberately in the uh, journal of the IEA at the time. I wanted to challenge the Tory view that only they understood how to grow the economy, how to make it world competitive, and to do so while remaining compassionate in how you utilize the rewards of a successful economy in a compassionate way and in a way that helped some people who simply can't help themselves for a variety of reasons, illness and other factors, and need help who are people who are on inadequate incomes, living in inadequate housing, and generally on the uh, uh, facing a tough life and who need to have a government who is sympathetic and understanding in helping them. So I think the message of social democracy is as strong as it ever was. Now, unfortunately, the SDP uh, didn't, uh, rose like a rocket, but it blew it, largely because it got into bed with the Liberals. Maybe there'll come a new party with the same basic principles of social democracy um, in English politics. I can see it, the embers are, of social democracy are beginning to become flames mm -hmm. and people are writing articles and talking about it. Good luck to them is what I say. I'm too old to be able to uh, dream of leading such a movement myself. But I believe that there is a deep unsatisfaction, dissatisfaction, I should say, a deep dissatisfaction with all the present political parties. We've seen their record now. We've seen the Liberals in government with the Tories, and we've seen the Labour Party in their attempt to improve their record after the disgraceful performance of all the political parties in their reaction to the referendum. The fundamental thing is that um, the vast number of um, people in all the three existing political parties as represented in parliament spent two to three years trying to overcome the results of a referendum and using various devices to do so. During that time, I think they deserved and got the contempt of a great number of people. So the, the, open, the, the scene is open for another political party. The SDP didn't succeed. It went up like a rocket. Uh, it was clearly what a lot of people wanted. It then got into bed with the Liberals and suddenly it looked like the old parties altogether again. 
And you have to also be ready to fight for your political views. There's no use holding them. Uh, this isn't a tea party. This is a very democratic, tough struggle to win over votes and to sustain those, uh, those their support. And that's a challenge. I think British politics is in a mood for change, but it can't see how it can emerge. And of course, the vested interests of the old parties is they get together and they are uh, hugely opposed and they try to get them. Now, the, the party that has got the nearest to doing this, let's be honest about it, is the SNP. This, the movement for Scottish independence is very strong and they've still managed to hold their support. And you can't help but admire that. I don't agree with them, but they have the right to eventually have another referendum. You, they can't have one every five or six years. Mm. It has to be interval 15 years, say, between referendums. But there will be another referendum on Scottish independence and on the present course until the politicians treat devolution of power and the different centres of the nations that make up the UK with proper uh, deference and uh, commitment to their rights, you will have a dissatisfied union. So the SNP is an example of what you can do and to sustain. And it, my, my view is needed UK-wide. There will come a, a new party in British politics. I'll probably be dead before it arrives. But I, uh, I'm confident that the present lot are not capable of adapting to a new world and have not got the vision and the understanding of it. And I think, I mean, just look at the way the political parties reacted to the first invasion of um, Ukraine by Russia. Mm. We appeased it. We acquiesced in the French and Germans uh, coming together with the Ukraine and uh, Russia in uh, the Minsk so-called negotiations. But it was basically appeasement. Mm. There was nobody really who raised their voice in British politics. I was not even in politics. I was in business in Russia. But when this first invasion happened, I'd dropped Russia and I was chairman of the company. I had to get the company out. And by 2015, we were out of all business in Russia. It was perfectly clear that the government that could invade Ukraine was not a government you could do business with. The situation for business had been deteriorating, even um, a little bit. Initially, it looked as if Putin might be quite good for the Russian economy. He came over here, you may remember, in mm. 2003 and uh, stayed at Buckingham Palace. But even then, there were signs of difficulty and that the Yeltsin model was being eroded. But of course, we now have a, a single power structure. It, the Communist Party is gone. There's not even the Politburo. So, <laughs> It's a very, very sad transition of, of hope under Gorbachev, of some achievement under Yeltsin, some reasonable grounds for hoping that um, Putin might be good, and now ending up in a single dictatorship. 
It's very depressing. Very depressing. It is. It is indeed. Um, thank you uh, for taking the time to speak to me, uh, Lord Owen. I, I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to answer. I, I'm questions. sorry I mistook you. I thought this was a liberal uh, Democrat uh, think tank. I was rather surprised they wanted to speak to me. But um, <laughs> if you're looking for new ideas and, mm. and trying to evolve uh, new thinking, good luck to you. Yes. We need it. Yes, yes, that, 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 that's the aim. It's, it's not affiliated with um, any party. It's a, a, yeah. a, 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 an independent, separate think tank. Well, good luck and think hard and learn lessons quicker than we are learning them and rally the younger people and give them the confidence to have new ideas and new thinking and don't feel that we're stuck in the present mire of British politics, which is extremely unappetizing. Uh, we're very, very badly led now for quite a long period of time. Indeed.